City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a special Christmas morning message from Luke chapter 2 titled The Christmas Story. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Why don't you guys turn to Luke chapter 2. This is really less of a sermon and more of a of a, a teaching and a walkthrough of a very familiar story that you maybe from childhood have read every Christmas and then some. And so it is no doubt a review, but it is God's Word. And so I trust that God will speak to us each, maybe even a unique way, um, as we just read through the story and pull apart and pull out a few things that, that uh, I believe we should highlight this morning. So it's a, it's a familiar story. Let's read it. And then, uh, actually, why don't, I, why don't I do this? I'm going to pray, and then what we're going to do is we're going to sort of read it, and as we go, I'm going to comment, and we'll stop and pause and, and talk about it as we go. So let, join me in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this beautiful morning. Thank you, God, that it's not raining today. It is cold, but, Lord, we're dry. It is, uh, it is warm in this room, relatively. And uh, thank you for coats and jackets, Lord. We pray for, um, we pray for our community today, Lord. There are... There are many, many who are not aware, truly, of what this day signifies and why, why we would make a big deal out about, about the birth of a baby 2,000 plus years ago. But we get it. We get it not because we're special, but because by your grace, you have opened the eyes of your people to see and believe that you are the Christ, Lord Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah of the world. And Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world to save sinners like us, to give us forgiveness of our sins, to free us from ourselves, to give us hope and eternity with you. God, we pray that this morning as we just look over what is definitely a review for many of us, God, that your word would be precious to us, we would look, our eyes would glance over every word and desire to take every bit of meaning and life that is in it. And Lord, as we are reminded of old truths, God, inspire us and strengthen us for the new lives that we live because of Jesus. I pray that if there's anybody here today, Lord, that is not in a relationship with you, not walking with you, in fact, maybe they are are in rebellion against you, God, would you, by your mercy and your kindness, lead them to repentance today? Just pour out your spirit. Give us understanding of your word. And so we thank you for this Christmas day. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Very familiar story. In fact, my family every year watches the nativity story, and maybe some of you guys do things like that. It's just very ingrained into us, this, this process, this thought, this story. Um, what's, what's going on here, which is interesting, that makes all of this even more impactful, is it begins with these very concrete... You guys know Luke is a historian, right? Luke, 
writes from a unique perspective as a historian, and he gives us strong anchor points so that as we read this, we read it as far more than just a story, but as history. We can read this and go, this happened. It's not just a, a cute nativity story. It's not just something that we see in kids' books with pictures. It is, and the fact is, is here, look, you've noticed the anchor points. In those days, a decree. So historians can then look for a time. Was there a decree in this time when these names, Caesar Augustus, did he put out a decree for all to be registered? And yes, history tells us that. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So this idea of, of Augustus, Caesar Augustus, he was, this was the first emperor, all right? And, and this was a time when there was so much darkness and so much unrest, but what had come into power at this point was relatively a, a peaceful time. You guys, you guys know the Paxis Romanus, right? The, the peace of Rome. That was their duty, to spread peace by overtaking by, by the emperor's rule. And so there was a relative peace that was taking place, and it's just interesting that Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace in this time, because this wasn't enough. The political peace that was being attained through, through this uh, regime was not enough to bring the peace that ultimately was needed in the human heart. And so Jesus comes during this time. It says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. A word that stood out to me that I wanted to just elevate for us to see a little bit. Notice in the, in the very first verse, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, <clears throat> Christians in the room that have studied Scripture, you know that nothing happens outside of God's ultimate guidance, will, permission, providence. Right? Isn't it interesting that you have a government right here at work. We're, we're reading something that the government of this time is issuing a decree for something to happen, and don't they think that they are just so much in control? You're like, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll make this. And ultimately, this was not a census to count people. We understand that this was for money's sake. This was to more accurately and more effectively collect more taxes and more money to build more palaces and, and make the, the uppers even more rich. But this was, this was what ultimately was happening, is while the, the decree was going out from Caesar Augustus, what he doesn't even realize is that he is actually being providentially moved about by the decree of God. Isn't that awesome? What God is doing and working behind the scenes to move, even when people believe that they are in power and doing such amazing things. God is the one who's actually has given the ultimate decree. And we've, we've read about it and talked about it all through this season, haven't we? The decree was a long time ago. The decree that Christ would come, the decree that the enemy would be crushed, God already had set in motion this incredible decree. And so here we see, though, how God is using this, the means by which he's going to bring about the birth of his son. Because all of this is working towards some very specific prophetic fulfillment. It says, each was to register in his own town. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the household and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so we know, and in case you're unfamiliar with this, this was just as good as being married, right? The betrothal was a promise. They were promised to one another. They had not been with each other physically yet, which is why it made it such an interesting time when Mary becomes pregnant and Joseph is given the, uh, he has the decision to make. Is he going to, um, is he going to stay with her? 
or is he going to follow what the culture and what uh, the law would actually mandate is that he could, he could just as easily have her stoned in the street for her unfaithfulness. But we see a little bit of Joseph's character uh, in this story. But Joseph is from the city of David and Bethlehem. These words should ring a bell to us as we're thinking about some of the history of what we've already read. And the things, this is, this is the promised king of David, the lineage of David. And so it's interesting, right? And so Joseph, I want to just give a little bit of a plug here for God's heart for adoption. You guys know, right, that, that Jesus is the adopted son of Joseph. You guys know that, right? See how seriously God loves adoption and how much he considers it a real family connection, right? So he's the son of Mary, but he's the son of Joseph. And Joseph is of the lineage of David. He's from, the, he's from that line. It's just, it's just such an amazing thing. And so um, this is all part of just seeing God's, the beauty of God's heart and his plan unfolding here. But Bethlehem also is, is an is a off-scouring of a city, the smallest of cities, and God chooses Bethlehem for this place for Jesus to be born. Some things I want you to begin to kind of like grab onto, and as, as we're just reading through this, I'm sure the Lord will speak to you and just kind of highlight some things that are impressed upon your heart. But one of the things that stands out to me every Christmas is the humility of Christ. The humility, and there's what is so humble about that story. Bethlehem, a no-name place, a town of Nazareth. In fact, the disciples would be mocked for claiming that the Messiah could come from a place like Nazareth. That's how uh, unpopular the place was. And this is the place that God chose for the Son of God to be born. So he was there to be registered with his wife, Mary, and she was with child. At this point, she was with child, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. How many of you really, really believe, or because of stories or movies, that it was like the nick of time, she, they arrived at Bethlehem, and she was like ready to give birth? Like, that's most of what we think because of uh, stories and, and things that have been told us. Uh, in movies. But this just says while they were there. So she could have showed up in Bethlehem and there could have been months, right? That's, that, that's what this actually says. While they, they were there, um, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Not clothes, cloths. Big difference. He didn't have clothes, right? They didn't have uh, a nice little onesie set for, for baby Jesus. Like we have these, we have uh, baby showers and we just get, sh- our babies get just showered with so many good things from all of our friends and family. And, and the Lord Jesus had cloth. <laughs> and you know what the, the term actually there, swaddling cloth, it actually has the, in the root of that, of that word, is, it means torn cloth. It's like strands, ripped cloth. This is what Jesus was wrapped in at his birth. And we would go, well, man, he deserves so much more. Yes, he does. But again, the humility, the intentionality of God to, to paint for us a picture, a, a Messiah that is accessible and, 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 and one that we can relate to, one that sinners can reach out to. Poor, needy people can, can reach out to this Savior and can know God through Jesus Christ. So you're just getting this picture. Another little, little 
nugget of information. This does tell us that she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, there is no need to say firstborn unless you have other sons later. Luke, as a historian, is saying this is her firstborn son. Later, she did have more. There is a false doctrine within the Catholic religion that talks about the perpetual virginity of Mary. Uh, we don't believe she was a perpetual virgin. Later, after Jesus, she, Jesus was the virgin birth, but, we, but Jesus had brothers, and she had more children. Luke tells us that by saying that he was the firstborn of Mary, the firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Again. So, what is a manger? For years, for years, I'm sure, maybe you too, at some point, it just, it just clicked. Oh, the manger isn't the barn? Like, it's not the room? No, the manger is the little tiny feeding trough, right? It's, it's, it is literally probably a stone, probably not made out of wood. Most often, when you look these up, you see, uh, like, hand-hewn stone, so cold, right? So carved out of stone, but a, but a trough for the animals in the barn to eat and drink out of. I don't want to get too graphic here, but that's gross, right? I mean, that's, but this is what was there. And this is what Jesus was laid in, laid in a manger. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, this year, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard um, this before, but I've heard several takes on the innkeeper's perspective. Have you guys ever heard anything like that? Like somebody trying to go in? I mean, the scripture doesn't tell us much other than there was no room for them. So you've got to imagine. But then later on, the, after the innkeeper realizes and the, and, the, and the shepherds come and there's all this talk and the innkeeper's probably like, why didn't I just give up one of my rooms? <laughs> it would have been far better for Jesus to be born in a comfortable place. But just think about the, the, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. To, this is exactly where God wanted him to be born. There was no mistake in any of this. But I think we should never, we shouldn't, we shouldn't look at this and, and pity Jesus. We should look at this and think, thank, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for every piece of this, because it speaks to us about the, the way that you chose to save your people through a humble king. Verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So just a brief little uh, comment on shepherds. These, this would have been, these were the outcasts. Um, shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in any, in any court. Their, their account, their witness was not considered valid. That's how outcast they were. It was not a job that any kid or would aspire to. I think I'll be a shepherd. The culture did not paint a beautiful picture of a shepherd. But in that region, it says, in that region there were shepherds, there were outcasts out in the field keeping watch over the flock. And another interesting thing is oftentimes, you know what these shepherds were watching? They were watching flocks of sheep that would be those lambs to be sacrificed. You know, Jewish people had to make sacrifices. They had to give a, a spotless lamb. It's just, it's just so all, how all of this sort of comes together. But these were the, the, the shepherds that were out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Just imagine being there. Just You're in the field, you're shepherding your flock, and an angel of the Lord appears from that realm, comes into our realm, and makes himself visible 
brightness and glory and shining there and appeared to them and the glory of the Lord, not the glory of the angel, the glory of the Lord shone around them. They're coming from the presence of God. What does that tell us? That tells us something about God's glory. The angels don't come with their own glory. They're glorious. But they come with God's glory. Isn't that beautiful? They're there in the night sky, and what the shepherds are seeing are the angels. They're beautiful, but they are surrounded with the glory of God there in the night sky. And naturally, they would be filled with great fear. Just to see what that fear might have looked like. All the staffs just drop. The sheep, I don't know, scattered. The sheep maybe all went, you know how they do that. <laughs> no laughing goats that night, you know. True, yeah, true, amen. But this, what a, what a scene, and this is real. Again, Luke is telling us a historical fact here. Fear was on them, and this is what the angel of the Lord said. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's why you don't need to fear, because I bring you good news. And that's really the basis for all of our ability to live our life, to, to go through uh, our lives. And in, 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 in often, you know, the, the scenarios are different. We don't live in a, in a culture like theirs, but there's much to fear. We fear. We can fear death. We can fear future, our future. We can fear our own sin and our own ability to mess up. And we can, There's so much to be afraid of. The only reason why we don't have to fear is because of the good news of Christ. Don't fear, for behold, I bring you good news. And that would have, I wonder if at that point they were like, oh, good. They were probably just like, even though they're like, we're bringing you good news. They're angels surrounded by the glory of God still. We're bringing you good news. You just wonder what, their, what the sound was like. Thankfully, they're able to, I think, <laughs> make themselves sound not like many waterfalls, <laughs> you know, or thunder, right? In other places where, you, where you, you know the sound of these angels, the sound of the Lord, like many waters, like thunder, but something audible, something that they could hear, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So, you guys, you're tracking with me here. The news for all the people began with shepherds. Humility. The people, God is painting a picture here. I've come for those who need salvation. I've come for those who are on the outside. I've come for those who are weak and heavy-hearted. I've come for those who the community, who the culture has considered outcast. And all of that is a picture of, ultimately, all of our spiritual condition, if we're willing to say, that's me. That's me. I am no better in the eyes of God than what these shepherds were in the eyes of that culture. I'm an outcast. I don't, I don't deserve the presence of God. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve a second, a third, fourth, fifth chance. I don't deserve the first chance. But he is good. 
He says, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now you have to know, this is the long-awaited Savior. We've been coming through the Advent season thinking about anticipation. This is the announcement of that news. The Savior is here. He's come. In the city of David, and he is Christ the Lord. He's the anointed one. And he is God of all. He is Christ the Lord. He is Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. God chose him to save his people. You want to know what that salvation looks like? Lordship. Lord over our lives. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, which most of you are in this room are, then you know that's what Christianity ultimately amounts to. Is Christ the Lord of our life? Is he Lord or is something else Lord of our life? This is the whole reason he came. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. He's talking to the shepherds. This is the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The sign. Otherwise, they would have been confused. Like, okay, hey, go into Bethlehem, look for the Savior. If he would have just said that, who would they look for? Probably would have went to the greatest hotel in town. But he said, no, the sign that you have found the Messiah is you will see a baby in torn cloths lying in a feeding trough. Praise God. But this, isn't that amazing? That's how specific. He's like, that's the sign. The shepherds are like, uh, okay, let's go. Look for this baby in a feeding trough in torn clothes, torn cloths. But isn't that beautiful? Just the way this is all coming together. That's the sign. And suddenly, then the angels, they burst into this great song. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I, I just don't, I can't even fathom what that would be like. I think according to scripture, we one day will know exactly what that's like. To sing in the presence of angels who have been praising God for eternity. Well, not all eternity. God created them too. But for a very, 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 very long time. <laughs> When the angels went away from them into heaven, verse 15, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Imagine that exchange, like, we, this is, uh, we, yeah, we, they told us we'd see, ah, this is exactly what the angels... Wait, angels talk to you guys? Yeah, we were in the field. And angels just talked to us and told us we'd find this baby. This must be the Messiah. You know, it's just such a cool thing. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Be like, okay, what's the cooler story? This is the Messiah. But there were angels in the field. Oh, my word. Like, this is crazy stuff going on this night, you know? 
But Mary treasured up all these things. So you just think about this mother's heart. While all this great cataclysmic events are happening, angels coming out of the sky, and there's her baby. And what's Mary? She's just treasuring it all. She's just going, Lord, help me. (laughs) You've chosen me to be the mother of the Messiah. So you can just think about that for a moment. Just what what would that moment have been like? Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They actually had to go back to work. That would have been hardest. (laughs) All right, let's go back and shepherd these flocks again. I wonder if these angels will ever come back. They probably spent the rest of their lives just like looking up in these places. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Because he was told, they were told, you will call his name Jesus. And what we should be all asking as we sort of wrap this up is we should be asking why. Why this way? Why a, a Messiah born this way? Why this story? And I think there's a lot of things that we can think about in other places of Scripture. I want to turn over real quick, and we'll end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go over to 1 Corinthians one twenty. The way that the Lord does things is not the way we often would have them done. God is so much greater. 1 Corinthians one twenty. Actually, why don't you back up to verse 18. We'll start there. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Think about that in relation to the story. The weakness of God is stronger than the strongest man. God in his weakness, that's even not even a... It's like Paul's doing the best he can to describe the comparison, but God doesn't have weakness. But it's like the foolishness of God's message preached. That might be weakness. Even that is more powerful than the most wise man in the world. For consider your calling, verse 26, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is what Christ came to be for us. 
He came to be for us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This is the Christmas story. Christ came as a baby, but he came to accomplish something incredible. And he didn't do it the way any man would do it or any world power would do it. He did it through humility and weakness and death and dying. He showed his power through humility. Oh, he has great power. But it's under control, isn't it? He is meek. He is lowly. He's wise. We should take our cues from Jesus Christ. When you think about how we live our lives and how we want to display what we think is good, how we want to treat other people, what we believe is actually obedient and worthy and noble. What is obedient, worthy, and noble is Christ-like. Every other pursuit is vain. We should be pursuing Christ. Don't you want to all the more Again, we've heard this, however old you are, you've been through many Christmas seasons. Don't you love Jesus all the more this Christmas? Even just thinking about that baby born, but what he came to accomplish. And he did it in great humility. Thinking about that setting. I'm so thankful. And we don't have to try to be anything, okay? That's the, sort of how I want to wrap this up. Paul brings up this idea of the foolish that confounds the wise. God isn't looking for you to be something great. He's not. He doesn't look for greatness. He wants humility. God raises up the humble. He raises up the humble. If we're full of pride, if you're proud, if you're seeking something that isn't based in humility, then you're pursuing something of sin sinful. You should repent of that. Turn to Christ. Seek seek a humble Savior. God chooses the the foolish of the world. And you know what he does with those foolish people? He gives them a foolish message about a cross upon which Jesus died to conquer sin and death. And guess what? People are going to reject us for it. They're going to hate us for it. Doesn't that sound foolish? That's what we've been called to preach. And it is that very foolishness according to the world standards, that will overtake the world. God, through his messengers, his servants, his followers, will spread the gospel far and wide. Disciples will be made. The earth will be renewed. God will continue to work through his church. Amen, brothers and sisters. What a glorious Christmas day. Let's, uh, we're going to take a few moments. John's going to come up and share now. We're going to share communion together and we'll sing one more song. Let me just pray and close us. God, thank you for your word today, for this, just these simple, wonderful reminders. Thank you for the manger where Jesus was laid. Thank you, God, for the scene of the, the animals and the, the inn, Lord, that had no room for him. But Lord, we know that often there was no room for Jesus where we would expect there to be. Didn't even have a place to lay his head. We know that doesn't mean he didn't sleep at night. It ultimately means that he didn't trust in the provision or in the the, um, accomplishments of man. He didn't trust in the amenities that we all desire to have. But he trusted you daily. Thank you, God, for Mary pondering those things in her heart, Lord. Thank you for the scene about the angels and the fear that was upon those shepherds but the good news that came.
Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ coming into this world to be our Savior. God, we thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the hope that we have as we turn to Jesus from our sin, repenting fully and turning to Christ and saying, I'll follow you. I will follow you, Lord. So let it be that that case, Lord. Let it be the case with each and every one of us this morning. As we think about Christmas, Lord, that we would think about serving you and following you for the rest of our lives in your power and your strength. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.